Hey, great to see you, Purpose Church. So good to be together online uh, here today. Uh, great, great, great to have you with us and for us to be together. Today we're continuing our series, Seeing Jesus Through the Eyes of Luke. But before we do that, I would like to give a challenge uh, before uh, we open up our new worship center on Easter Sunday. And so I'm actually, I'm going to preach two medium-length sermons rather than one long sermon. Uh, I am praying that we will have a new culture for a new worship space. We've been meeting in the gym and H building uh, for seven months now, and there has been a great sense of connection and energy and excitement during our time in the gym. Even though we're 152 years old, there's been this fresh feeling like we're, we feel like a church plant meeting in a gym, even though we're 152 years old. And I want us to carry that back with us into the new worship center. And besides that, it's, it's biblical. There are three words that described the early church. The first is together. Notice the repetition of this word three times in this description of the early church. Acts 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Together, together, together. But over time, they lost that sense of togetherness. So the writer of Hebrews had to challenge them to recommit themselves to it. Uh, So the next two words that described the early church were spurring and encouraging. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So there's one command, which is with regard to the benefit to ourselves, encouragement to us. Be together with other believers in order that, so that you can hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. When you're out and about in the world and the culture and the society, it is easy over time to begin to swerve to the left or to the right. But he says the way to be unswerving in holding on to the hope that we profess is to be together on a regular basis with other believers for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. So we we meet together for the sake of helping us to hold on to our hope unswervingly, not to get discouraged, but to hold on to our hope. But then we also meet to help the others around us to be spurred on, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, there's that word again, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, even in the early church, over time, some had developed the habit or lost the habit of getting together. And so they began to develop the habit of not being together, but encouraging one another, but encouraging one another. The Bible 
commands us to meet together. Uh, for our own need to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, but mainly two commands for one, one command for our own sake, but two commands mainly uh, for the sake of other people. Did you know that? You come to church not only for your own needs, I come to church not only for my own needs, but also to help others, for the benefit of others. One of the main reasons, two out of the three commands as to why you should go to church and be in church is for the sake of others, not just for ourselves, so that we may spur one another on and so that we may encourage one another. One reason for us, two reasons for the sake of others. Just by being at church, by them seeing you, by being, just by being together, you are spurring others on and encouraging them. Remember the old criticism, and this is more years ago when there was more of a cultural Christianity uh, uh, within, within our country, uh, within our society. Remember the old criticism? They just go to church to be seen. You ever remember that? Uh, they just go to church to be seen. Well, you know what? It is actually biblical to go to church to be seen. Uh, it, it's, it's like a fire. Uh, you, you need to be together and to be seen by others to encourage them and you see others and that encourages you. If you scatter the embers all over the place, if the, if the embers of a fire are just scattered, uh, there is no warmth, there is very little energy and there is li very little power. But you take the embers and you put them together. You, you, you bring them together. Then there's warmth in that fire. Then there's energy in that fire. Then there's power in that fire. Uh, one of our five core values here at Purpose Church is that we are better together. So what four practical, concrete steps can we take to make this happen when we get back into the new worship center on Easter Sunday? And here are the four things I want to challenge us as a church about. I want us to be in person, downstairs, up front, and in the middle. In person, downstairs, uh, up front, and in the middle. First of all, in person. I want to make a challenge that unless you have a health issue or a health concern or you are geographically outside of our area on a given Sunday, I would urge you to be at church. As Hebrews says, to get back in the habit of being at church in person every Sunday, every Sunday. So first of all, is in person. Then the second challenge is that you would be downstairs. Downstairs. Uh, we are, with the new worship center, we're going to be able to easily accommodate everyone downstairs on, on a regular Sunday, uh, on a regular Sunday. So after Easter Sunday, we will close the balcony. After Easter Sunday, we're going to close the balcony so that we can all be together downstairs like we've been in the gym uh, for the past seven months. We want to carry that same feeling. So we all want to be in person, and we want to be downstairs together, just like we've been for seven months. Then the third challenge is to be up front, to be up front. Um, 
Have any of you heard of Wordle uh, that's sweeping the nation? Any of you, right where you're seated there in your living room at your computer, raise your hand if you've heard of Wordle. Uh, I'm just about the only person in my family that doesn't play Wordle, but but I do know about it because of so many of my family, uh, Kimberly and my daughters and son-in-laws and others that that play this game. And I, and I got a kick out of this uh, meme that went like this. This is not Wordle. It's just where people sit in church. <laughs> this is not a Wordle game. This is not Wordle. It's just where people sit in church towards the back, not in the front. Now, this is funny, but I'm just telling you, a a culture of this, where everybody's kind of at the back, um, and that's church culture in America today, sit towards the back, kind of away from the action, kind of uh, like be a view, uh, viewing things, watching things rather than at the front um, involved in things. And I'm telling you, this just kills the feeling of togetherness in a worship service. It, it puts a damper on worship, and it puts a damper on the preaching of God's Word. It's hard to lead worship if, if this is where people are seated. It's hard to preach. It's harder for me to preach uh, when, when people are, are, are seated like that. Uh, A couple of Sundays ago, our family visited a church in Virginia called We Love Church. That was the name of the church. We Love Church. Or just, sometimes it goes by, just Love Church. So those of you that don't like the name Purpose, let me just tell you, it can always be worse. (laughs) It can can always be worse. It's like, it's like, uh, Texas complained, uh, were whining about it when Alaska became a state because now they were no longer the biggest uh, state geographically. Uh, they were number two rather than number one. And the Alaskans said, if you don't quit whining, we're going to cut our state in two, going to cut it in half and make you third instead of second biggest. And actually, you could cut Alaska in half and it would still be, those would be the two biggest states in Texas would be third. So just just remember, it could always be worse. It could be we love church or love church, but it's a great church. It it was just a great church with a great young pastor who reminded me of our uh, pastor, Eric. But at this church that we visited, they had a fill-in-the-front-first culture, a fill-in-the-front-first culture, which really increased the spiritual power in that church. I could just sense it in the worship service. And I would just love that for us as we go into our new worship service. As you pick a new seat, and we all know how that's gonna go, uh, we're, we're gonna pick a new seat when we get back in the worship center, and we're gonna bond with that seat. We're, we're gonna bond with it, and that's gonna be our seat until Jesus comes back. And I am... I. I am at the top of the list of that, man. I I like my same seat. You'll notice I sit in the same place uh, every Sunday. But as you get back into the new worship center and you pick your new seat where you're going to be until Jesus comes back, when he returns, he'll be able to find you because you'll be in, in in your seat. Consider the front. Will you consider the front? Consider this. 
and not, not this. You might say, well, Glenn, it's too loud at the front. I've been told that in the new worship center, it will actually be louder in the back than it is in the front. It's actually going to be louder. I, I didn't plan it that way, honest, but I like it. I like it. If it's going to be too loud, it's going to be in the back, not the front. As a matter of fact, I was so um, so conniving that I was I actually wanted us to have bigger seats um, in the front of the church rather than at the back of the church, kind of like first class at an airplane, seats up front, first class or bigger than the ones towards the back. I actually would have loved that, but um, technically, technologically, we had to have all the seats equal. So all the seats in the whole worship center are going to be equal size, as much as I would have loved for these to be bigger first-class seats uh, than the ones uh, towards the back. But as your pastor, kidding aside, I'm just asking you to consider this. Would you consider this? Now, this fourth one uh, in the middle, uh, this comes not from me, but actually from Pastor Tomiko and the guest services team. But it's from me as well, but I, I, I heard about it through Tomiko and the guest services team. In the middle. Uh, if you could sit in the middle of the row and leave the ends for latecomers, that would be just wonderful. To, to not hug the, the, the aisles, but to go to the middle of the row when you come. Then latecomers, we can seat those um, in, in the aisles as they come. And here's one good thing about the new uh, setup we're going to have. There will be armrests on every chair middle as well as the end, not just on the ends, but every chair. So that makes it even more attractive. And it just makes it so helpful for the ushers when they see guests, uh, they can see them from the ends. Uh, if we could just uh, start in the middle and work our way out to the ends. So here's what I'm asking you as your pastor. Would you help to start a new culture in the new worship center? a culture of in-person, downstairs, up front, and in the middle, which will help us feel together so that we can spur one another on and encourage one another. And then the last phrase in Hebrews 10.25 says, we do all this to be together, 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 together. Why? And all the more as you see the day approaching. Which day is that? The day of Jesus' second coming. We need to be together so we can hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, so that we can spur each other on, and so we can encourage each other because the day of Jesus coming back is approaching. Now let's pivot for the remainder of our time and look at the signs of that day. The signs of that day uh, from this week's reading is Luke 20 and 21, but we're going to spend our time in, in Luke 21. Uh, verse 5, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? It was just incomprehensible to the disciples 
that the temple in all of its glory and impressiveness would ever be torn down. Now, we were in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and you could just never imagine, here's some pictures that Kimberly took, uh, you could never imagine the Washington Monument or the, or the Jefferson Memorial ever not being there. You just couldn't comprehend that. And it's the same way with the Jewish people in the temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus uh, wrote that Herod the Great had quarried uh, massive marble stones and polished them to a mirror finish uh, for the temple. Uh, they were 67 feet by 7 feet by 9 feet. And it was considered one of the greatest structures in all the ancient world. These massive white stones reflected the sun, uh, Josephus said, with such brilliance that from a distance the temple looked like a snow-capped mountain. From a distance, it looked like Mount Baldy when all the snow is on top. Now, prophecy often talks about multiple events at different times in history. For example, in the Old Testament, a prophet might give a prophecy that talks about an event that's going to happen a few decades in the future. Or, the, along with that, at the same time, the first coming of Jesus in hundreds of years and also his second coming in thousands of years. So one prophecy could refer to something that's coming in decades, another one's going to come in centuries, another one that's going to come in millennia. It, it's kind of like a, a mountain range. You look at a mountain range, and there's, there's one range that's close up. Okay, That would be like the things that were going to happen in 40, 50, 60, or 70 years. And there's another mountain range that's like a bit further out. That would be like the, the first coming of Christ that would happen hundreds of years in the future. And then in the distance is the, law, the furthest away, uh, the one's farthest away uh, mountain range, and, and that would be the second coming of Jesus. And that's the way many Old Testament prophecies are. Now, this uh, prophecy that Jesus is about to talk about, this prophecy is called the Olivet Discourse because it was given from the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus is talking about two events here. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD that was going to happen about 40 years in the future, and he's also talking about his second coming. Uh, Matthew and Mark uh, tend to emphasize what Jesus said about his second coming, and Luke here tends to emphasize the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So here are the signs. Number one, more and more people will be deceived about what the truth is about God. Verse eight, he replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. A second sign would be there will be increasing turmoil in the world. Boy, some of these we can really relate to. Verse 9, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Jesus said, when you hear about wars in the news and the war that's going on right now, uh, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Verse 10, then he said to him, nation will rise against nation, just like is happening right now, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines. We hear that the 
war in Ukraine is going to eventually have a famine effect around the world and pestilences, uh, pandemics like we've just are coming through with regard to COVID. There will be earthquakes and famines and pandemics in various places and fearful events and great signs uh, from from heaven. Uh, Max Licato writes, the power to annihilate humanity has, it seems, been placed in the hands of people who are happy to do so. Oh my goodness, what a prophetic word that was. He said that about 10 years ago, I think. The power to annihilate humanity has, it seems, been placed in the hands of people who are happy to do so. Then the third sign, it'll be harder and harder to be a follower of Christ. Verse 12, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues. Now, we're talking here about 70 AD, um, right before the time, great persecution of Christians before the destruction of uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. Jesus says, look at these as opportunities before people enter into eternity to bear testimony to him. But make up your mind not to worry. Notice what Jesus says here with all the world events going on. Don't be frightened. Don't worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters. A lot of this inner family betrayal went on before uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, persecution of Christians, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you uh, to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Oh, how I would love to claim that verse for my own. Uh, Stand firm and you will win life. He's talking about eternal life because some of the people that he's talking about would would lose their lives through this persecution. But even if they lose their life in heaven, you'll have a full head of hair. Not not a, one of your hairs is going to be damaged. And if you stand firm in Christ, regardless of what, remember Jesus said, don't worry about the person who can take your life here. Worry about God's assessment of your life that can determine where you spend eternity. Stand firm and you will win life. You will win eternal life regardless of what happens in this life. There's a great persecution of Christians before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And we see the same thing today. Today there are 200 million Christians in over 60 countries that are denied uh, fundamental human rights uh, just because they're followers of Jesus. Every year, about 165,000 followers of Christ are killed for their faith, which is four times what it was a century ago. The persecution of Christians is rapidly increasing in the days and the times in in which we live. And then number four, he talks about the siege and destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Here Jesus 
is talking about the fall of Jerusalem, 70 AD, 40 years or so uh, from when he's saying this, that would take place. Uh, Matthew and Mark, as I mentioned before, emphasize uh, the destruction that would happen uh, uh, with the great tribulation in the last days. But Luke here is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that's going to happen in 70 AD. And this is just an amazing fulfilled prophecy because you can demonstrate you can demonstrate that Jesus said these words decades before historically they took place and then history validated it exactly the way Jesus said that it would happen. It's an amazing fulfilled prophecy that clearly was given years before it happened. The Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Verse 21, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. According to the Roman historian Eusebius, uh, the Christians fled Judea uh, to a town called Pella that was in the Decapolis. See the Decapolis right here? And in the Decapolis, there was a city called Pella. And according to historians of the time, that's where the Christians fled Jerusalem to um, just before its destruction that took place under the Roman general Titus. Verse 22, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. That's who this tends to fall the hardest on. We can see that in the Ukraine and, and, and Jesus said it would be that way as well. There'll be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Uh, historians believe that some of these Jewish people that were taken as a prisoner back to Rome helped to build the Roman Colosseum. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then number five is signs in the heavens. And this is not so much the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but this is now talking about the end times. There will be signs uh, in the sun and, and, and moon and stars. Uh, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and uh, perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Uh, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. At, at the moment, let's, let's go back to that one verse back. At the moment when things seem the worst, at that moment, Christ will arrive. The Son of Man will be coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up, be encouraged, Christian. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. All these other things, uh, these, these signs in the heavens, they are, are meant to warn people and call them to repentance. Uh, but those that re repent will, will find their redemption drawing near. And those that would refuse to repent, uh, they will find judgment drawing near. And then number six, the sign of the fig tree. It says in verse 29, he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Now, the, 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 the fig tree 
uh, represents Israel. And you all know that's one of my favorite subjects. I've preached on it many times. Boy, if there was nothing else than the fulfillment of prophecy about the nation of Israel, if that was all there was in the Bible, I still would believe this is a supernatural book that, that clearly uh, lets us know that Christ is going to return. If there was nothing else but what the Bible predicts about Israel and what we have seen happen in our lifetime, in our lifetime, we have seen uh, so many scriptures fulfilled. That, that would be enough. But I don't want to talk about that right now because Jesus says, in this case, um, the fig tree and all the trees. And so Jesus is, is, is talking about all the trees that when they sprout and when these signs happen, you know that summer is near. Uh, like I mentioned, we were back in D.C. Uh, visiting our daughter Abby and son-in-law Kenny and family uh, back there. And, you know, I grew up in Virginia, but I've never been in Washington, D.C. when the cherry blossoms were at their peak. Uh, that, that is something I had never seen. And we just happened to be there on the day that the cherry blossoms were peaking. And so a um, week, week ago Tuesday, they peaked last Tuesday it rained the next day, and then they were past peak. And Kimberly took so many great pictures there, the cherry blossoms. But when the, when the, when the blossoms happen, when the cherry blossoms happen in Washington, D.C., the message is clear. Summer is coming. And when the fig tree and the other trees in Israel, when, when they began to blossom, when they began to sprout, the message was clear. Summer is coming. And Jesus said, when you see these signs, the message is clear. I'm coming back, and it's going to be soon. Verse 32, truly I tell you, this generation, that is those that see the beginning of these signs, that generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then finally he says to us, be on the watch. Be on the watch. I know everybody this week has been talking about um, the incident with uh, Chris Rock and, and Will Smith at the Oscars. Uh, but you know, the thing that I took away from it was a spiritual lesson for my own life, for myself and, and, and for all of us, uh, because I loved how Denzel Washington uh, pastored, really pastored Will Smith after this incident. And, and, and he was quoted as saying something that I, I really took to heart. At your highest moment, at your highest moment, uh, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. And boy, I, I really, that was a great word of wisdom. It is, it is at the moment when we, when we think we've got life all under our control and everything's going great and, and, it, and, it, and it's fantastic, that's when you gotta watch. You, you gotta watch yourself. Let he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. A pride goes before a fall. At your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. And so Jesus says, be on the watch. Be on the watch. Verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness, and in the original Greek, this carries with it the idea of a hangover. Be careful that you're not living in such a way that you're hungover and you can't be prepared for Christ's return. But then there's something that's more subtle. And these are obvious things, carousing, drunkenness, being hungover. 
but then also the anxieties of life. Uh, sometimes we miss out on the most important things in life because we're distracted by good things. Many times the good in life distracts us from the best in life, the most important in life. Be, be careful that our hearts are not weighed down by just everyday living that distracts us from being prepared for when Christ returns. And be careful because that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Uh, don't be hungover, but also don't be distracted by good things. Don't be hungover from bad things, but don't be distracted from good things. Verse 35, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man when he returns. Last two verses in the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He, Jesus, who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And all of God's people said, say it out loud with me, amen and amen.